are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Lockdown Pistons Podcast. Per usual, I'm your host, Kuka Hill. You can find me on Twitter, at Kuka Hill NBA. You can find me over on YouTube, at Coos Barroom. You can also find me over at Detroit Bad Boys, writing articles about the Pistons. And on today's podcast, we got a bunch of things to talk about. So right out the gate, we're going to talk about some of these quick-hitting news that's happened over the past, like, two days. I did not record a podcast Wednesday, and there were a bunch of tiny things that came out. So we'll tackle all those little things. Uh, but then also later on the podcast, some of you guys have been tweeting at me. Uh, some of your thoughts and disagreements, or at least like poking my thoughts and, and asking me to go a little deeper on Luca Garza, specifically his defense, and then also Sadiq Bey and his whole, my whole opinion about him, his all around game offensively, what he needs to be focusing on, etc. So we'll talk about that later on in the podcast as well. But like I said, out the gate, we're going to talk about some of the, and also there's some other lineup things we I want to talk about, some lineup predictions, etc. We'll get into later in the podcast as well. But let's go ahead and talk about some of these smaller things. Uh, first off, Luca Garza and Kay Cunningham both made the Summer League, what do they call it, Summer League All-Star Team or Summer League All-Team, whatever the hell it's called. Uh, they both made second, the second team. Uh, Kay probably would have made first team, I think, possibly if he like you know, actually played the last two games, but obviously he did not. So he made the second team. And then also Luca Garza got rewarded for some of his play, uh, especially late at once Killian Hayes and Kay Cunningham stopped playing. And once really he got inserted into the starting lineup, played really well and ended up making the all summer league team second whatever it is uh so cool for them especially for luca garza that's pretty cool for him uh he's been getting a lot of attention from national guys for how he's played so cool for him and hopefully he can translate that success into like like we talked about in the previous podcast getting better in the offseason and training camp defensively moving his feet uh all those other things hopefully he can carry some of this momentum over there and also hopefully he has that same kind of success success offensively uh, against nba caliber players so good for him uh, next thing, Rasheed Wallace, former Piston. You guys all know who she is. Ball don't lie. He accepted an assistant coaching job at Memphis, which I believe, let me check this real quick. Yeah, Penny Hardaway is the head coach. He's going to be assistant coach for Penny over at uh, Memphis. Good for Rasheed. I know a lot of you guys, if you guys have been watching the Pistons for a long time, even when they were just downright pitiful and it really over the last decade, you guys remember Rasheed had that one season when he was uh, assistant coach for the Detroit Pistons. And I think everyone who paid attention during that season to the Pistons will remember his one like shining, shining uh, moment when Andre had that steal on Elton Brand, I believe it was, and then posterized them on a fast break, and Rasheed got off and was going psycho and losing it. Uh, but yeah, good for Rasheed to get back into the assistant coaching. I know there's been a lot of uh, rumors and stuff about him getting into coaching over the past, I believe, like year and a half or so. So good for Rasheed to get into Memphis, a good program over there with Penny Hardaway. So. Happy for Rashid and see if he eventually finds his way into the NBA coaching somehow. By the way, I do wonder if the reason why, uh, if some of you guys don't know this, Rashid did come out and say he doesn't mess with the Pistons organization or the people, at least the people inside the Pistons organization uh, on Instagram a few, I think it was a few months ago he said that, or last year he said it. Uh, nothing against Detroit or its fans or anything, but apparently he doesn't really like the people inside the organization anymore. And I wonder if that has to do with the fact he got fired uh, after that one year as the assistant coach. 
I believe it was under Maurice Cheeks that he was the assistant coach. Uh, but I wonder if that that's why he doesn't mess with the organization like that anymore. Uh, anyways, that's just a random thought I was thinking about. Also, if you missed out on the last podcast, uh, we talked touched on this a little bit, but Luca Garza, he did sign a two-way contract with the Pistons, so they do have their two two-way guys in Luca Garza and Chris Smith. That puts their current roster number at 16. So I guess we'll kind of talk about the lineup and roster decisions right now. I was going to save it a little bit for later, but we'll talk about that right now. So, like I said, they're currently sitting on 16. You need to have 15 for opening night if you did not know that. Uh, you can have as up to 20, I believe it is. Yeah, 20 up until opening night. But on opening night, you need to set your, your roster to 15 spots. Uh, this is the the roster as of today. You got Kay Cunningham, Killian Hayes, Frank Jackson, Corey Joseph, uh, Saban Lee, Rodney Magruder, Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant, Josh Jackson, Sekou, uh, Trey Lyles, Isaiah Livers, Isaiah Stewart, Kelly Olenek, Jaleel Okafor, and then assuming that Diallo returns, which all signs point to him returning, I, I don't see why he wouldn't return, or I don't see a future really at all when he doesn't return. Uh, if you're including Diallo, that's 16 right there, and then you got the two two-way guys with Garza and Smith. So how are the Pistons going to get down to 15 spots? So there's a couple ways they could go. James Edwards of The Athletic, he had an article come out, and a lot of people are speculating off of what he said in there. Uh, he presented three different outcomes. Uh, I'll go through what my what I believe are the possible outcomes uh, for them getting down to 15. So one, I think the most obvious one, I think this is actually the one that's most likely going to happen. This is just why I believe they're going to do. Simply cut Jaleel Okafor. Uh, he's the one guy on the roster who just doesn't fit and is unwanted and just like he's just there to be there. Uh, there's no, I just don't think there's really trading him. No one would really want him. His value sucks, and he's just not very good. So I think that's the very obvious one. I think that's going to be the route they take, just getting rid of Julio Okafor, wave, waving him, and just eating his salary for this year. Uh, that's one way they can go. That's why I think it's going to happen. Uh, but they also could go the route of trading Josh Jackson, which is one of the uh, outcomes that James pointed out, and I've been pointing out all offseason. I thought this was going to happen before draft night. Or even on draft night, I thought they were going to trade Josh in the second round or get up into the first round. Uh, didn't happen. They're keeping Josh. It's very likely that Troy Weaver just really likes Josh Jackson. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they find a way to get him into the lineup and get him minutes. Uh, he definitely, the numbers won't say it for last year, but if you watched Josh last year, he definitely had really high highs, some really low lows that were uh, associated with some injuries, etc. But there's something in there with Josh. If he can just crack it, he can become a legit I don't know, six man in the NBA, I think. If you can just get it out of him, you can really get that. Uh, whether this team has the capabilities of finding that with him anymore, I don't know. But I think it's very likely that Troy Weaver just really likes Josh Jackson. So I don't think, me personally, I think if they were going to get rid of Josh Jackson, it would have happened by now. So the fact that he's still on the team, I think that points to Troy Weaver just being a really big fan of him. And so is Dwayne Casey, especially because of his defensive capabilities. So I don't think that's going to happen, but that is a possibility. Um, another possibility James talked about was trading Seku. Uh, you guys know how I feel about Seku, so I'm not going to get into a rant about it. I, I not only do I not think it's do I think it's not smart to trade Seku right now. I just don't think Troy Weaver is really interested in doing that. Um, believe it or not, even though I, Seku was not drafted by Troy Weaver, and the fact that he is the one guy left over, I do think that Troy Weaver at least likes him a little bit for him to be the one guy that's still here. And at 20 years old, for them to still keep him around, and you know. I just think that if he, I just think if he really did not like Seku, he would have found a way to get rid of him already. Like he wouldn't be here still. And also, if you're trying to open up one roster spot to get under uh, 16, get under 15, I should say, 
uh, you're not cutting the 20-year-old or trading the 20-year-old with potential. You're getting rid of the, the center who has no potential and no place in the NBA. That's, that's, you're not getting rid of the dude that possibly could become something for and while you keep a guy who has no future on your team and probably no future in the NBA. So I don't see that one happening either. So Rodney Magruder just resigned, so I don't see him getting cut either or anything happening with him. So really the only two options for me is, and obviously there is a small chance of this third option happening of them just not bringing back Diallo. I, I don't think that's not going to happen. I think they're going to resign Diallo, but that, that I have to mention that because that is a small possibility. It's still out there. But the most likely one I believe is going to happen is Julio Okafor. They're going to get him out of here, and then they're going to get their way under 15 uh, with Diallo coming back and have their roster set with the two-way guys of Garza and Smith. If you guys have any other thoughts about what you think is going to happen with the roster, if you guys don't agree with me or you guys have your own idea of what's going to happen, tweet me. Let me know what you guys think about it. Uh, but when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the things you guys have been tweeting at me. There's been a few guys wanting me to go a little bit further into Luca Garza's defense and explain myself a little bit more. And I will do that for you guys. Uh, one of you guys also tweeted at me something about Sadiq Bey. I didn't respond to you guys on Twitter because I kind of wanted to respond on here. Uh, it's a good topic. I'm sure everyone wants to hear about it. And I want to give my thoughts more in depth on here. So we'll talk about Luca Garza and Sadiq Bey a little bit later when we come back from the ad breaks. But obviously, before we get to that, let me tell you about some of our sponsors. What's the deal, guys? There are some things in life that you just don't really want to talk about. You know, issues in a relationship, family problems, or more importantly, sweating through your t-shirt in the public for no reason when out with the boys. Yet, yeah, you heard me right. Everyone has been there, including myself. Simply wearing deodorant doesn't help it either. But sweat block antiperspirant wipes can help. Sweat block is doctor-created and doctor-recommended. You simply apply it at night before bedtime and go to bed. Then wake up the next day and do your normal routines like nothing ever happened. Except this time, without the worry of sweating through your t-shirt. Sweatblock works for up to 7 days per use and has a dry shirt guarantee. If Sweatblock doesn't keep your shirt dry, you get your money back instantly. If you or someone you know is dealing with this worst issue in life of sweating through your t-shirt, tell them all about Sweatblock. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with promo code LOCKEDON. Again, get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with promo code LOCKEDON or at Amazon and CVS. Get Sweatblock now and stop sweating. Hey guys, don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body constantly. Whether you're an elite athlete or someone just like me, which I'm a pretty damn good athlete myself, but anyways, just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help you. Theragun is the handheld progressive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension, issuing a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power, and it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good, it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using the GAIN's signature Percursive Therapy 1, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, an injury, or just the stresses of everyday life, there's no substitute for Theragun Gen 4. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, and myself. Try Theragun for 30 days starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on. So anyways, we're going to talk about Luca Garza and his defense. I'm going to dive a little bit more into what I was saying because I had a few of you guys asking me to dive a little deeper on that, which we will. No problem. I appreciate all you guys always interacting with me. I always love it. Uh, I don't shy away from talking with you guys. If you guys disagree with me, that's all fine. I, don't be scared to hit me up no matter what you guys got to say. Uh, but 
First, one of you guys wanted me to talk about Balsa uh, Kopovica, I believe his name. I'm not going to do that because it looks like that he's not going to be on the roster and it looks like he's going to be an overseas draft and stash player. So I don't I don't really see any point to talk about him. And I, I'm not going to lie, I just don't know much about him at all either. So combine both those things, I'm not going to act like I do know enough about him to talk about him. And I don't think he's really of an importance right now to talk about. So I'm not going to do that. Um, but I'll go through this tweet right here that uh, one of you guys tweeted at me talking about Luka Garza's defense. Now I'll go into it. So he says, basically, I'm not trying to argue with you. I think you're lower on Garza's defense than other people are. Uh, I feel like it'll take a lot of repetition, etc., etc. Uh, a lot of people feel like he could be a neutral defender. Also, you mentioned that he's better than Okafor. Rather have him on the roster as well. Uh, you also go on to mention that he looked like he had some good moments in the summer league, even though he struggled at times. Uh, and then you also go on to mention like other guards who just aren't good defensively but really good offensively. So, but we don't say the same thing about them. So. I'll talk about all those things, and I feel like that was something that a lot of you guys would like to hear me dive into anyway. That's why I'm specifying on this tweet, and we're talking about on the podcast. So first off, I agree that you should have him on the roster over Okafor. Okafor serves no purpose. Not only is he trash on defense, he has nowhere near the offensive capabilities, I think, so far that Luka Garza has, and he's much older, and Julio Okafor just isn't good. So, And there's no possibility of him becoming good. I think we've seen enough from him. I'd be shocked if he remains in the NBA much longer. Uh, so I agree with you there. Um, second, uh, for your point about other guards who aren't as good on defense, so my overall thoughts about that is, and one of the people that was mentioned was Jalen Green. Well, Jalen Green's like 19 years old, and he has the body to become a pretty good defender. Uh, so the fact that, and he's also really athletic, so when you have like the body to be a good defender, you have some wingspan or whatever, uh, you're, you're going to be able to make some plays, and I just don't know if it's, like you can definitely still be like a negative on defense, but you can like grow into being a good defender, and you just simply not being... Like, I, what's the word here? Like, if you got good size and you have a, a frame to be a good defender, it's going to be a little bit harder to pick on you on defense every possession, I feel like. That's just my thought about it. When you're a center and you're off at defense, and especially in this era of basketball when it's pace and space and they like to put guys in pick and rolls, especially um, big guys. They If you're a, a big guy that can be sought out, I mean, we saw in the playoffs even with Rudy Gobert, who's a defensive player of the year. I personally don't feel like Rudy Gobert was really – uh, sought out like that that much. He was that much of a liability. I thought they were actually really good with him on the court. I feel like the numbers backed that up all the way up until the final game when he really just played a piss-poor game and also the Jazz played a piss-poor game. But anyways, I'm getting off topic. Anyways, you, teams are going to search out your center, especially if you're more of a slow-down big man or, or a traditional guy or just not as good on defense. They're going to sort you out as much as possible. They're not going to do that as much with guys like Jalen Green, who are 6'5", 6'4", 6'6", on defense. Even though you're not great defensively, they're not searching you out like that. When you're a center who's just slow, can't move your feet, and pick and rolls, especially when pick and rolls are like 99% of NBA basketball now, uh, you are going to be highlighted almost every single play. That's why it matters more with big men, especially a center like Luka Garza, because he's going to be played off the court almost every time he's on the court against NBA teams. And this is why I say... His few good moments defensively, which I guess you guys are talking about his blocks. Uh, I don't feel like his blocks, first of all, you shouldn't be looking at block numbers for a guy like Luka Garza in the summer league. is like a real indicator. Just I, Obviously, getting blocks is good. But like if you're just looking at the stats and saying, oh, look, he got these many blocks. He must have been pretty good on defense. No. like You're going to luck into some blocks. The guys are going to be dumb sometimes just going into you, take bad shots. You're going to block some guys because you're tall and can put your hands up. Um, outside of that, he really still was picked on, didn't look that good at all defensively. And this is the thing. Against summer league teams, this is why I say this. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm less high on him possibly becoming a passable enough defender. And obviously, he's young right now. He's not a finished product, so he can get better, obviously. I'm talking about right now. Uh, 
in the summer league, if you're struggling defensively, it's going to be even worse than the NBA. I mentioned this on the last podcast. In the summer league, they're not scheming like that. It's just basically pick up basketball. You're not scheming out defenders. You're not scheming out weaklings. You're not attacking one guy. Like, it doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. In the NBA, there are scheming against you. There's game plans about you. They know what to do when you're in the game. They're going to scheme against Luka Garza every time he's in the game. Whenever he plays, I know he's not probably not going to play a lot, but when he does get into a game, they are going to scheme at him every single play, and his defensive weaknesses will then be highlighted every single time. So as of right now, like in the summer league, when it's only happening every few possessions or whatever, and every now and then he happens to get a block because the summer league guys just aren't that good, fair enough. But in the NBA, that's not how it's going to be. He's going to be highlighted every single possession, and he's going to be toyed with every possession because he's just not that good defensively, in the pick and roll especially. And if he wasn't able to handle it like that against summer league guards, imagine it against NBA caliber players. It's not going to go good. So he really does have a long way to go defensively. I just don't think his body type and the way his... His frame, I just don't know if he has a real path to becoming a passable defender. Now, I've said this before, and I'm rooting for him. A guy who has elite work ethic, the motor he does, and how hard he tries, that's a guy you bet on to becoming a passable enough defender. So we'll wait to see. Um, One of you guys did tweet at me and brought this up. I believe it was the same person. Rebounding is going to be a main way he can stay on the floor. Bryce mentioned this on the podcast a few times ago with us. Uh, But rebounding, if he can swallow up defensive boards and stop and limit uh, second-chance opportunities, that that really does good things for defense. If you're limiting second-chance points and easy offensive buckets and putbacks and stuff, that eliminates points as well. So he can, if he can really get good at that and also become like a good team defender, like a good positional defender, this is another like thing that like Jokic does really well. Like Jokic is going to be out there swatting shots like that, but Jokic is a really good team defender. He's developed him to being a smart defender. He knows where to be. He knows where his rotation is supposed to be. Like if he can do that kind of thing, just be a smart defender. He doesn't have to be a plus guy or make like big difference making kind of things. But if he become, if he can like really become a high IQ guy defensively, even though his body just simply won't let him become a good defender, then he could possibly become a passable defender. I think it's more tied into him rebounding-wise, if he can really swallow up rebounds and that and limit putbacks and box out guys. Like, there's this one player. It, oh God, I can't think of it. It really it's bugging me now that I can't think of it. But there was one player that Andre Drummond used to go against all the time. And Andre Drummond was better than this guy. But this guy did a really good job constantly. No, Steven Adams. This is what it was. And Steven Adams might have actually been better than Andre. Who knows? You guys have an argument about that. But when... Andre would go against Steven Adams. Steven Adams would really limit Andre because Steven Adams is great at boxing out guys and getting positions on defensive boards. And Andre would never be able to have like those big offensive rebounding nights because Steven Adams would do a really good job in keeping him off. That's another thing that Luka Garza could become good at. If you're able to be one of those guys who really limits great offensive rebounders and, and second chance points, that's a good way of finding his way onto the court if his offense stays where it's at and actually translates to the NBA level. That's where I think he can translate at. Uh, but those are all things that he really has to work on right now. He's not near that point yet. He's not He's not there yet at all. He can get there. It's going to be extremely tough. So if he does do it, it's going to be even more impressive if he actually pulls it off. That's why I'm rooting for him. And we'll see what happens. But I hope that kind of clears up things. You can still disagree with me. Anyone out there that disagrees with me, that's fine. We'll see what happens. But I hope that clears it up a little bit more, why I feel the type of way I do. And you guys understand a little bit more about Luka Garza's defense. Really, in the NBA, they're going to scheme every single time. That's what happens in the NBA. Summer league, it doesn't matter as much. Basically, just pick up ball. In the NBA, you're having practices in between games. You're having schemes. Uh, you get, you're being given uh, sheets with the game plan on there. You're going over what to do against each player. Like, he is going to be going gone against every time he's on the NBA floor. So, his weaknesses will be shown right now. So, let me know if you guys 
understand a little bit more or agree with me there or if you guys still disagree with me or have your own thoughts on it let me know as well i'm always open for all of it so when we come back we're also going to talk about some of the other things you guys have been tweeting at me about sadiq bay and his offensive game you guys already know where i stand with that but i'm going to talk about some of the things you guys mentioned to me and we can dive even further into that but first as usual let me tell you about some of our sponsors so yesterday my fiance comes home from work and she brings home a built bar the best tasting protein bar in the plant earth that comes with a variety of flavors, including six new flavors and caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. All flavors are covered in incredible tasting chocolate and are soft and easy on the teeth to chew. These bars are low in calorie and sugar, but high in protein and fiber. The flavor I suggest, and it's also the flavor that my fiance brought home to me, is the peanut butter flavor. Packed with 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, only 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams net carbs. And trust me, when she got home, first thing she said to me was, damn, these things really are soft and easy on the teeth to chew. So, go try the Bilt Bar for real. Go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BiltBar.com. Bilt Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. And also, betting is not legal in Michigan. And if you're anything like me, you want to take advantage of that instantly. However, there's one problem I constantly ran into. There's just so many different apps to bet through. Which betting app is the best to use? Which one is the best for me? That's why I found BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NBA season might be over, but the NFL is starting to come back, and MLB is still in full swing. If you want to take your adventures beyond sports, however, BetOnline has you covered there too. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV, things I didn't even know you could bet on. BetOnline has real-time updated odds and props on just about anything you can imagine. BetOnline is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to BetOnline now to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus and your first deposit and make sure you use promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You want to talk about something that we really should get like a sponsor for, uh, especially with Cade being here now. It's peanut butter and something with peanut butter and jelly. I don't know if you guys saw Cade like absolutely freak out when someone mentioned they had peanut butter and jelly on like, I think the Pistons tweeted out. It was a video of him in like in a, in a room and they mentioned they had peanut butter and jelly. He was looking for snacks and he was like, he was already halfway out the room. And as soon as they said peanut butter and jelly, this man, <laughs> this man's face glowed up, turned around, did a complete 180. He's like, hey, man, you all mentioned peanut butter and jelly for real? And it was just like so hype over that. For me, this, I said this to my friends earlier, and I absolutely got destroyed by them for it. Let me know what you guys think. For me, peanut butter and jelly is like a last resort kind of thing. There is no way that you should be walking into a kitchen. Your first thing is like, ah, oh, where's the peanut butter and jelly at, man? That's just, it's just not that. It's not it, man. It's not that it's not that type of thing, man. It's just for using that one the, the funny meme. It's not that guy, man. It's just not that guy. It's not it's not that type of thing. Peanut butter and jelly for me growing up always was that thing. Like if we were out of stuff as a last resort, like ah oh, okay, I guess I'll make peanut butter and jelly. I guess that's what we'll have. It never was something like oh I can't wait till I get home and have some peanut butter and jelly, or I go into the kitchen and it's the first thing that pops off my mind that I want to eat. You guys gotta let me know if it is for you, because for me, hell no, it isn't. It just isn't like that. Kate Cunningham actually is the second person now that I've heard act like this for peanut butter and jelly. My high school teacher, uh, one of my high school English teachers, Mr. Brown, I remember he made us uh, he made us write a whole uh, whole essay about our favorite food, and his his two page essay was about how much he loved peanut butter and jelly and why he loved it so much. So those two guys are the only ones I've ever heard get so hype about peanut butter and jelly. So if you guys are also that hype, you guys gotta let me know because I completely disagree with you guys. Peanut butter and jelly, just not it. Also, I have another hot take before we get into Sadiq Bay. Peanut butter and honey is better than peanut butter and jelly. Hey, 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 is what it is. I've dropped the mic on that one. Peanut butter and honey over peanut butter and jelly. You guys can take it to the bank. Uh, anyways, let's talk a little bit about Sadiq Bay now, finally. Um, I had one of you guys tweet at me. I'll go ahead and read the tweet for you guys. Um, 
Also, like I've said multiple times already, make sure you guys tweet me if you guys have some thoughts and you guys disagree with something. You guys just want to have a conversation. It's very likely that I'll talk about it on the podcast because a lot of things that you guys are also thinking and also uh, disagreeing about or simply just having thoughts about, like thousand other people that listen to this also are having it. So don't be afraid to hit me up because I'll talk about it on the podcast so we can dive into it any further. Uh, but this one is from Chubbs. Uh, he always tweets at me. I appreciate the, the interaction. Uh, he says... Just because it don't work in four to five games for his Deacon Summer League don't mean it won't show up in the season when it need be. You bring up Mikael Bridges. He can score off the dribble as well. You don't want to be confined to just that. Might as well tell Killian not to shoot threes with your logic. So I'm going to point out the flaws in that statement real quick. First of all, it's not anything like telling Killian not to shoot threes. You need, Killian needs that to be a part of his game in order to be a capable NBA player and really reach his scene. Like, he needs that. Uh, if he's not able to shoot threes, it's really going to limit his ceiling. Uh, you can still... Sadiq does not need the off-the-dribble game to really hit his ceiling. He can be a really good player without that. You don't need that. Uh, Killian as a main primary point guard and, and be able to leverage the defense, especially with his type of skill set being able to pass, he needs to be able to level the defense and needs to be able to attract attention and, and bend the defense his way with his scoring ability. If he can't do that, there won't be passing lanes open. Defense will respect him on his drives, on his pick and rolls, etc. So Killian does need his threes, and a lot of primary ball handlers need that type of thing. So it's not the same with that. Uh, second... I bring up Mikel Bridges. Yes, you're right. Mikel Bridges did show in the finals a little bit of an improved off-the-dribble game. He did do it a little bit more in the finals than he had basically all season. But outside of that, that just simply isn't a true statement. Mikel Bridges doesn't really use his off-the-dribble game at all because he just isn't that good at it. Uh, he did show a little bit like he's capable of hitting the open mid-range if you give it to him. But it's nowhere near a part of his game. During the season, he only had 93 possessions with shots off the dribble. Now, on the limited attempts, he did really good with it. He was in the uh, 79th percentile, but it's because it's only on limited attempts. It's not like a featured part of his game. Uh, I think you mentioned it in the tweet. He used it as like a as like a counter. Like if guys really close out that hard on him and you just gave him wide open mid, then he'd take it. But that only happened 93 possessions of an entire season. It's not nowhere near something that he does all the time. It's just something he does if it's absolutely given to him on like a closeout, etc. Uh, just to give you an idea of that, uh, Sadiq Bey, his rookie season, still had more possessions uh, with jump shots off the dribble. He had 112 possessions. He finished in the 17th percentile. Uh, he just isn't that good at it. Um, and Mikael Bridges doesn't really have that part of his game. It's not a big part of his game at all. He's just really good at everything else you need him to be at. Like, here, like look at this. Jump shots. All jump shots for Mikael Bridges, 92nd percentile. Around the basket, 90th percentile. Uh, spot up, 83rd percentile. Transition, 92nd percentile. Cutting. 84th percentile, off screen, 81st percentile. Like all these things, he's very good, excellent, 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 very good. All these are things that you do as a 3 and D off the ball kind of guy. You just maximize the very best that you can right there, and you become a pretty damn good player, which Mikael Bridges has done because he's maximized all the things he needs to do off the ball. Not to mention the fact that he's an incredibly high IQ player, makes the right pass, knows what to do, sees plays developing from an off ball standpoint, so he knows where the quick swing needs to go to, knows how to read a defense. He's not trying to do stuff with the ball in his hands. Like, for example, pick and roll ball handle. He only had 27 possessions doing that. So combine that with the fact and with the jump shots off dribble, which some of those may have been, some of those I'm sure are like intertwined with each other. So at most he had like 100 possessions of doing anything with the ball in his hands. And he's still, you would say like what, a top 60 player in the NBA? Like a really damn good player in the NBA? That's what Sadiq can do. That's what Sadiq can become if he eliminates the idea that he has to do stuff off the dribble. Like, I think we all agree, Mikael Bridges is really freaking good. He's a real damn good player. And that's because, like I've read in all the stats back up, it's because he's maximized everything off the, off the ball. He maximized his role. He knows where he's great at. He knows what he's good at. He's not trying to do stuff he's not good at. 
He's maximizing absolute. He's taking his talents and he's taking what he's good at and he's absolutely maximized the most out of those things. That's what NBA players should do. That's what you see the great NBA players do. Like all the great role players, like Draymond Green, for example. Draymond Green, probably the best role player of all time. He's an all-star, but he's great in his role. He's not going outside of his role. Draymond Green took what he was great at, defense, defense around the rim, playmaking, playmaking, and he has absolutely maximized the hell out of every every single one of his skills. He took his, the skills that he had and he made the absolute most that he could have out of all of them. And, look, and he's transitioning himself into an all-star because he knows what he can't do. But he knows what he can do, and he's maximized that, and that changes the game. And that's also what Mikel Bridges can do. Sadiq Bey, I just really hope, and I think the numbers back it up as well, that he's just not that good at this. He's just not good off the dribble. He doesn't have the body. He doesn't have the body type. He doesn't have the athleticism to do all that kind of thing. And the thing is, if he's struggling to do that in the summer league, and he really was, he was really struggling to do it in the summer league. He just couldn't do it. He couldn't create space. A lot of the shots he did hit off the dribble we're still contested shots because he just ha- doesn't have the athleticism and the wiggle to create space on these uh, these dribble pull-ups or these isolations. If he's not able to do it against guys who aren't in the NBA, he's not going to get anywhere close in the NBA with doing it. Against NBA caliber defenders, he's just not going to succeed at it, which is perfectly fine. Like I've said multiple times, that is fine. He just If he just maximizes what he's great at, the things that he's good at, he maximizes, like, look at, for example, this past season for Sadiq, he was in the 88th percentile in transition, Okay. He did great in transition. If you eliminate his the 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 ones where he's utilizing the ball in the transition, like he's run the break, if you eliminate that, he's probably in like 95th percentile. So if he eliminates those ones, he's an even more efficient player. Like stick to your role, running wing to wing, uh, moving off ball, relocating off ball, spot up. He was in the 71st percentile. How about instead of being the 71st percentile best spot up player, work your way into becoming the 80th percentile spot up player. Work your way to becoming the 90th percentile player. How good are you then? Work your way from being an 88th percentile uh, transition player. How about you work your way into being a 95th percentile transitional player? That's what Mikael Bridges did. He, he took what he was good at and made himself elite at all of it. Instead of him being, uh, let's look at another one, handoff, a 52nd percentile player, how about you make yourself a 62nd percentile player? How about on cuts? Instead of having 28 possessions and being a 72nd percentile, how about you make yourself an 82nd percentile player? Maximize the things that your body and your play type and utilize you to be your best at, and you will become a damn good player in the NBA for a very long time. That's what Sadiq Bey can do. If he's going to continue to focus on the things that he's really bad at and keep trying to fo- force this, like the pick-and-roll ball handling when he ranked in the 37th percentile, isolation when he finished 13th percentile, uh, where is his jump shots off dribble right here? Jump shots off dribble, 18th percentile, around the basket, 19th percentile. That's another thing that really uh, is going to ha- really hinder Sadiq Bey from ever really being able to do the things that he's trying to do and the things you guys want to see him do is the fact that he just doesn't have good touch around the rim at all and he's not able to really get off the ground. The thing is, for guys that can't really get off the ground, like under under the rim players, they have excellent touch in it, on the ball. Like Kyrie Irving, Steph Curry, those kind of guys, they have excellent touch on the ball, and they're also creative around the rim. But really, it's mainly the fact that they have excellent touch on the ball. Sadiq Bey doesn't. If you watch one of Sadiq Bey's drives, almost all the time he's he's throwing it directly at the backboard. It's hard. It's hard as hell. He doesn't have great touch around the rim. So the fact that he's not able to finish around the rim at all, he also is not that athletic. He doesn't have great isolation moves. He doesn't have great wiggle. You can see, like I said on the last podcast or a few podcasts ago, you can tell he's working on He's trying to add things off the dribble to his game. He just doesn't have that type of wiggle to do that. He just isn't. He's not that type of player, which I'm going to say for the last time. It's perfectly fine. 
But like I said, like the examples I made with, with Mikel Bridges, you made himself an 83rd percentile spot player, 92nd percentile transition, 84th percentile cut, 81st percentile off screen, 82nd percentile uh, the pick and roll ball handler guy, but that's only on 20 possessions on the season. Like he took the things that he was good at and absolutely maximized the hell out of them. Like this would be the last example I use right here, and then we can end the podcast. I know I've been ranting for a minute, but those the the off the the pick and roll ball handler first. Mikel Bridges, only 27 possessions. Now look at the things he's really good at. 311 spot-up possessions, 214 transition possessions, 77 cut possessions. And guess what the, his three best possession or, uh, play types are? Spot-up transition cuts. Excellent, excellent, excellent. 83rd percentile, 92nd percentile, 84th percentile. Like, he took what he's good at and made himself great at all those things. That's what Sadiq can do if he just eliminates that whole I need to become a, a ball handler I need to become this I need to become this ISO player you don't you can be a really good player in the NBA you can be a starter for 10 plus years by doing what Mikael Bridges does what other players like Mikael Bridges do of maximizing the talent that you have to the utmost ability and accepting what you can't do but maximizing what you can do that's what Sadiq Bey should be doing that's what I'm going to continue to say he should do because that's just my personal belief I think that's his best route to become a great NBA player which he can be by doing that but that was a long explanation. Uh, I hope that actually was, I think that probably is the best explanation I've given and the best in-depth dive of Sadiq Bey as a player and his outlook. Uh, I, I hope you guys appreciate that. I think that actually was really good. If you guys still disagree, let me know. If you guys feel like that taught you a lot, let me know that as well. That's always good to hear. Um, but I'll see you guys in the next podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to today's podcast. I, once again, I just want to make sure everyone knows this. I like Sadiq Bey. I'm moving for him. I've said him over and over. I believe he has like a 10-year career as a starter in him if he realizes what he can't do and just maximizes what he can do. But thank you guys for listening today. I appreciate you guys as always uh, listening to the podcast. I love you guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you guys on Friday's podcast. I'll see you guys then and peace out everybody.